Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? We are kicking off a new Christmas series this week. Last week was kind of the bridge between Genesis and the start of Advent, and now we're in Christmas. We're going to look at a couple Old Testament passages from the book of Isaiah. And today uh, we are in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. God, thank you that you saw us in our mess and brokenness and need. and You sent your son, Jesus, like that little helpless baby, all of divinity wrapped in a tiny little package. And then you grew up and showed us the kingdom and then went to the cross and conquered sin and death and rose again and So God, I just pray that this morning we would just be reawakened to the wonder of Christmas, to the beauty of the Christmas story of who you are. I pray right now that anyone this morning who's here carrying a heavy burden or weight or some anxiety or fear, God, that you'd be able to just take that from them. And God, that we'd be able to just receive from you your love, joy, your peace. Thank you, God, that you are here with us. So now I pray that we'd receive your word with open hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Living in Minnesota, anybody else ever struggle with the winter blues of just feeling, yeah, 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 get get those hands up. Uh, And so there are things you can do to kind of combat that. If you're like Josh, you can go to Florida or Mexico every other week and get your son on that way. That's one way to get it to work. I I do recommend uh, taking a warm trip if you can. When when I asked Kristen, could we move back to Minnesota? She said, sure, one condition. You take me somewhere warm every winter. I'm like, okay. And then there's other little things you can do, right? So for me, one of the things that helps me get through the winter blues is sitting in the sauna at Lifetime. That's just one of my happy places. Uh, it's a time where I go to think, reflect, pray, uh, sweat. Uh, it's, it's, it's good quiet time. Uh, my phone overheats in the sauna, so I have to leave it in my locker. So I have to literally unplug. So it's a good time of doing that. So a couple days ago, I was at the gym doing a, kind of a, a, a light workout, and then I had to make a phone call. So I finished my workout, made a phone call, and, and just, I was kind of processing that news of just like, man, this isn't exactly what I wanted to hear. Uh, I'm not really sure, God, what, what you're kind of doing in this situation in particular. So I was like, well, I'm going to go to the sauna. I can sit and pray and think and process. So I head to the sauna. I sit down, and, and there's a guy sitting right next to me, uh, about 31 years old. And, and I look down on his side, because he's right next to me, and I'm like, whoa, you have the same tattoo as me. So I have Yahweh tattooed on my wrist, if you didn't know, and he has that same exact tattoo, just much bigger on his side. So I was like, hey, 
we have the same tattoo. And it was really neat because then we started this conversation that uh, he actually is 31 years old and a uh, son of a pastor uh, down south a little bit, uh, southern Minnesota. Uh, But because of the pressures and just kind of the weight of being a pastor's kid, he, at 18, ended up walking away uh, from Jesus, from God, from the church, uh, he actually got that, too, at age 18. It was really funny. He was sharing the story that they told him, you know, uh, don't have any alcohol beforehand. So he's like, okay, no alcohol, but maybe if I smoke a joint, that will be much better. And so he did that. He's telling me this story. I was like, so you, you smoke some marijuana to get Yahweh tattooed on you. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Uh, but then he walked away and really got into a life of drugs and alcohol and, and lots of just bad stuff in life over the next about 10 12 years, and as we're talking, he said he's just started uh, visiting a church in his uh, neck of the woods. He lives down in Wyzetta, and, 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 and just kind of, he says, but you know, I, I sneak in late. Uh, I, I, I leave early just in that baggage of being a pastor's kid, but through it all, he's had Yahweh, which is the Hebrew word for God, the name of God, on his side, literally, and it's a tangible reminder that no matter what, God is on his side. And so even though he's been on this journey of of walking away from Christ and now perhaps finding his way back, that God has been always on his side and he's had that unforgettable reminder that he can't get away from. And it was just really neat to start to share and talk. And he's uh, uh, in his 30s looking to get married someday. And so we talk about the dangers of sexual sin and all this stuff. And just in the sun and some older guys are sitting kind of listening to us talk. And it was, it was a neat moment where uh, I went in hoping for some quiet time and prayer time. And instead, the Lord used that just as an opportunity. Again, why I have a tattoo, it opens doors and to talk. But I just was, was reflecting on that moment afterwards about just the power of a name and the fact that he had the name of God, uh, Yahweh from the Old Testament, tattooed on his side, sparked this conversation. We started to talk about these kind of spiritual things, and I told him about our church, and that he said, come say hi to me next time uh, at the gym. And that there is power in a name, amen? There's just something about the name of Jesus that fills us with hope and, and light and truth. And there's something about a name. A name says something about that thing. You know, I love, there's a product that you can buy. It's called the Flippin' Light Ladder. Have anyone heard of that? It's called the Flippin' Light Ladder. What's really cool is, what does it do? You flip it, and it's really light to set it up, and it's flippin' light. Like, I love that its name describes what it is. You know, uh, every week, we, it's like we're looking around for the walkie-talkie here uh, to talk to, you know, the janitors. When, we, we, when the floors are dirty, we need to be vacuum or things like that. And it's like, what do you do on a walkie-talkie? Like, you walk and you talk into it, right? Like, its name perfectly describes what it is. There are some things, though, that you might hear the name and you're like, what is that thing? I remember when I first heard about Snuggies. You guys know what Snuggies are? It was like, I thought... Man, if someone gave me a Snuggie, like, oh, I'm going to have to, like, pop them in the face or something. Like, that's something, like, something, something that, like, you know, junior hires would give each other. And you realize it's kind of this weird robe that you, like, zip up into, right? And now they even have formal wear Snuggies. Like, what a time to be alive. Like, that's amazing. But maybe the first time you hear Snuggie, you don't know what that is. Or I remember when Ugg boots were really big. Remember those? Like, and I remember, like, someone talking about they're going to get their wife Ugg boots. I'm like, what's an Ugg thing? Like, that sounds ugly, right? But, like, you don't really know what it is. So sometimes a word needs a little bit of description. But here's what we know is that the name of something says a lot, and how you describe something really matters. 
Like, for instance, every Christmas time, my mom would always make, and now my wife makes them, caramel cinnamon rolls. And they are made the night before. The dough rises. They're homemade. Put the caramel on top. They're warmed up in the oven. Christmas morning, they're just the perfect temperature. Uh, they're amazing. And, you know, what's cool about Christmas morning is no calories matter on Christmas morning. So you can eat as many caramel cinnamon rolls as you want. It's Jesus' birthday, so he magically makes them go away. I'm just kidding. But, you know, as I'm describing caramel cinnamon rolls, you're like, I want one of those, right? It's like how you describe something matters. And so the name of something says a lot, and how you describe it really matters. And there's something about the name of Jesus. And Jesus is the source of hope, amen? But if I had to ask you, well, how exactly is the name of Jesus a source of hope? You might this morning struggle to give me, you know, a great answer. One of my favorite verses is in Matthew chapter 12, and Matthew's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says this in, in 12, 21, and his name will be the hope of the world. I love that. Jesus' name is going to be the hope of the world. But how exactly is the name of Jesus the hope of the world? Well, we've been, the last couple, several weeks, been in the book of Genesis. We said, you know, Genesis 1, we see that God created us on purpose for a purpose. Everybody matters, and you're created in the image of your creative God, and you are to go, therefore, make a difference in this world. And that even when we mess up, in Genesis chapter 3, that God pursues us, even in our mess and brokenness and shame. And then we see that, you know, Cain kills his brother Abel, but he says, my kavod, my guilt is too much for me to bear. And if perhaps even Cain can turn and confess and from his brokenness and sin, that any one of us can turn as well, that we all have messes in our family. And that's okay. It's just normal. And, 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 and as we went through, we saw that you know, God punishes and judges the world, but then he hangs up his bow of war, his, his, his bow in the sky to say, never again, and then he makes a covenant with us that you can just have it. You can just have these gifts of life and love and truth. And then God scatters the people in Genesis 11. And then we said, now we're in this kind of season of waiting. And so what happens? They're all waiting. There's going to become someone who's going to make everything right. That because of creation curse, and now we're under covenant, we're waiting for that new covenant for Jesus and so hundreds of years before Jesus comes, the prophet Isaiah writes these words. If you're going to do a really deep dive into Isaiah, you can, uh, we can, I'd love to kind of really Bible nerd out with you. Is there one Isaiah? Are there two Isaiahs? Are there three different Isaiahs who all wrote the same book? That it was written 700 you know, BC around the time of the Syrian uh, you know, uh, attack on, on Jerusalem. Was some of it written later in the Babylonian captivity? Let's nerd out sometime about that, but it's all the word of God, amen. And throughout this book, whether it's 700 years or 900 years before Christ, they're pointing to one who's going to come and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so when you say, how is Jesus the hope of the world? What does it describe it? It's like, it's like a Snuggie, tell me more. What is this all about? I'm here to tell you what his name means. That hope is a wonderful counselor. That hope is a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. So I just want to spend some time. We're going to look at each of those four uh, phrases, those names of Jesus. And then we're going to move into time of communion and just remembering of what Jesus did for us and then to encounter Christ through that. So if, number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. That The first description of Jesus is a wonderful counselor. 
He's a wonderful counselor. Uh, the other day, um, it's kind of a long story, but through this whole process of figuring out what's our future like, I had to go through this 12-page evaluation for myself as a pastor and, like, and answer all these theological questions, biblical questions, but one of them was like this long questionnaire and like evaluate yourself as a, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a worship leader, all these things. And so give myself the marks, and it's like, how are you as a counselor? And I was like, eh... Yeah, not so good. And so that was probably my lowest mark I gave myself, and I think my wife would agree. And that is not one of my gifts and strengths and talents. We can meet once or twice if you need some counseling, but then I will gladly refer you to professional, amazing counselor who that's their job, right? Jesus is different than me. He is a wonderful counselor. You know, it's so meaningful when you can sit down with someone who actually is a wonderful counselor, who can help you find breakthrough, who can help you find healing. We've talked a lot about kind of the, the, the dark, the desert season of Wisconsin when we lived amongst all the Packer fans in Madison. And we were out there for a couple of years, end up working with a egotistical, narcissistic, a spiritually abusive leader um, that just actually uh, two months ago, he got fired from his last uh, church job for being an egotistical, narcissistic leader. But as I worked with him, there was a lot of baggage. And after that season, actually, our, our church district paid for me to do some counseling uh, because of some PTSD of working with that man. And before we planted Mosaic Church, they wanted to make sure, hey, Eric, are you okay? Are you healthy? Are, are, have you dealt with this stuff? And so our district uh, paid for me to, to do some counseling sessions to kind of deal with that, uh, to make sure if there's any part that I played in this, uh, that, that, you know, that I, I learned from, from those things. And so I went into that counseling, that first counseling session, honestly with a lot of trepidation and a lot of like, what is this going to be like? And so I, I went in just not kind of sure, sure you know, how, uh, how this was going to go. And now you're probably wondering, like, how did I leave, right? Well, I got to meet with this wonderful older man uh, in his 80s, and he's a wonderful counselor. And after that first meeting, I left with hope. I left with more of Jesus. And after eight weeks of meeting with him, he was able to kind of closed his notebook and he said, hey, Eric, this is closed and done with. Hey, you never have to deal with this again if you don't want to. Uh, you, you've, you've talked through this. You've worked through this. You've been exonerated from anything in your past about this situation. And that's what a wonderful counselor does, is he helps get into the mess, into the brokenness. And when you have trepidation, when you have fear, a wonderful counselor can bring peace, can bring more hope. And maybe this morning, what you need is Jesus as the wonderful counselor to bring some peace uh, into your life, some, some healing into your life. And what a wonderful counselor does is helps you to know that the best is yet to come. And you can write that down, that hope is expecting the best is yet to come. And when we, talk, when we preach on this, kind of one of, it's one of our five values a couple weeks ago. This doesn't mean that life is always up and to the right and that following Jesus means that everything's going to get bigger and better the next year. What it means is our hope is in the future inaugurated kingdom of God that at the end of the book of Revelation, we see that God wins, that the new Jerusalem comes down, God makes his dwelling with man, these gates are always open, and that there is hope because every tear will be wiped away, that, that everyone will be welcome into the kingdom of God and, and, and God wins, that Jesus is king. 
That's, that's, that's our, our, our hope of knowing the best is yet to come. And so that even though we may walk through struggles and times may be tough and ups and downs, we can, we can have hope knowing that, that that's where we're headed, that, that Jesus has the victory. And a wonderful counselor gives you hope that you have better days in front of you. Because nobody's ever woken up and thought, hey, I want to have a terrible day today. But you need someone in your life who can look at you and say, you know, there's some things that you're involved with right now that you might need to deal with because if you continue on this path, I see destruction coming down your way. A good counselor will ask, like, how's that working out for you? You know, how uh, is this pattern? Or even saying, like, hey, I sense a pattern in you that when people harm you or something, you, you tend to lash out this way. Or, or there's a pattern of you acting this way or, or you know, responding with bitterness or resentment. And, and Jesus is the wonderful counselor who helps pull you through these tough times and shows you the best is yet to come, that there is hope still. Number two, we see in Isaiah that Jesus' name is also described as mighty God, that he is the mighty God. He's the hope of the world because he is the mighty God. He is all the presence of God wrapped up in human flesh. Uh, we've been going through the, the kids' Bible, uh, me and my, my seven-year-old son, Andrew, and I just love as he asks these wonderful questions about, like, what, what, was Jesus around, like, at the creation of the world? I'm like, yes, that was the, the pre-incarnate Jesus before he had added humanity to his divinity, but Jesus has always existed. And it's hard to wrap our minds around that. But then when he became, as a baby, when he added humanity to his divinity, he didn't take away any of his divinity. And our minds struggle with that. How can he be 100% God and add to that humanity? He's not half God, half man. He's all God, all man. And somehow, what is that? We don't know. But that he's able to add humanity to his divinity when he came as a baby. But he is still mighty God. And he came down to say that he's always on your side, just like the guy in the sauna who can't get away from that, that God is on his side, that Jesus, when he's on your side, he's a mighty God. We, we love watching Christmas movies with, with our kids. We watch a couple of different ones. One of my favorite is uh, Elf. I, mean, I also love Elf. And I love the scene where he's with his little brother and they're walking through Central Park and these guys pop out of nowhere and start throwing snowballs at him. And, and his brother's like, oh no, this is bad. And Buddy the Elf's like, I think we can take him. He's like, what? And, you know, it turns into, like, this snowball-making machine. He, like, throws snowballs, and he takes out, like, all the other kids. Like, that's amazing. Like, Jesus is like that. He's a mighty God. Like, having Buddy the Elf on your side in a snowball fight, that's what it's like, as silly as it is, that he is a mighty God. And what does that mean? Take a note so you can write this down, that it means hope is the belief that anything is possible, that anything is possible with God. I love when, when Mary gets told, hey, you, a virgin, will conceive and give birth. And she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never been married. I've never been with a man. How can this be? What does the angel say? With man is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So we believe that with God, all things are possible. That people who are lost and broken have walked away from Jesus. And that, that child of yours or that spouse of yours who walked away from God, we believe that it is possible for them to find Jesus again. Amen. For closed wombs. That they say, you'll never carry a child. It's possible God can open that up. That, that, that marriage that seems like it's on the rocks and there's no hope for it. That it's possible. 
God can heal and redeem that. And so by having a mighty God on our side, it's having hope that anything is possible. If God could come as a tiny little baby, I'm just watching that video and just seeing, again, it's like, wow, a tiny little baby. How hopeless and helpless that little baby is, crying out for help. That's, God put himself in that tiny little package. It's like, how can that be? With God, anything is possible. And he's a mighty God. He moves us from giving up to believing that if it ain't good, God's not done yet. I love the song that we sing that, that, that yeah, every hurt, every mistake, that God's going to redeem it. That God is working through it. And if it's not good, he's not done yet. Again, it doesn't mean that life is all rosy and perfect and we don't experience hardship, but it means that God's going to continue working through it and we believe that anything is possible, that anything is possible. Your marriage might be broken, but it's possible it can be healed. Your finances seem like an impossible place. It's possible God can bring financial blessing out of nowhere. Your kids are messed up or you don't have kids and you want kids. It's possible God can work in that situation. That you've had some kind of major failure and you're like, there's no way I could ever recover from this. That it's possible that God can work through that to redeem it. And that God's going to use your story to give encouragement to others. Anything is possible. Jesus is the hope of the world because he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. And number three, he's everlasting father. I've been thinking the last couple of weeks, especially around Christmas time, like how special it is to be a dad, to be a father. Like, yes, it can be hard. And when you have your four-year-old in bed with you like all night long because she sneaks in and she's coughing and I think my back is bruised from her kicking me all night long. But how special and what an amazing privilege that is that when I come home from work, my kids race as fast as they can, almost knock me over to say hi to me. And that's just the privilege of being their father, of being their dad. I believe nothing gives Jesus more joy than when we experience him as our everlasting father. Now, a lot of times we, we, we like to put things in boxes and so it's like, okay, we've got the Father over here and he's kind of the stern creator and the Holy Spirit is with us and there's Jesus. And so the idea of thinking of Jesus as also Father is kind of weird to us, but Isaiah tells us he is the everlasting Father and I think it's okay to think of Jesus like your dad, that, that he's that good, good parent. Now, some of you maybe didn't have good relationship with your dads and I'm really sorry for that. But through Jesus, through relationship with him, you can have that experience of a good, good father. You know, I love when we go someplace new, and especially my girls, they, a lot of times will cling to my legs or Kristen's legs because they just need to know that dad, that mom is near. And I think Jesus likes it when we have that same feeling of just saying, hey, we need to cling to the father because we're in a situation we're a little uncomfortable with. We're not sure what this is all about. And you can write this down, that hope is found in the Father. That when things seem hopeless, to cling to his legs, to cling to him and say, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I know my dad's got me. I know my mom's got me. It's like this. 
You think about like, like, uh, like one of my kids, you know, Andrew, Rebecca, learn how to ride a bike, or maybe they're even on like a, their hoverboard, right? And they're going down the street, and maybe we're outside, it's a beautiful summer day, it's not winter like now, and, and we're hanging outside, and you got some neighbors, and, and you, it's, it's a good day, you know, the cool breeze is there, and, and you're watching your kid go on their bike, and they're learning, and then they fall down, and they skin their knees, right? And... and Seven-year-old Andrew like, has a moment. He can say, oh, it's just a flesh wound. I'm okay. Not too bad, right? Parents of young kids, are they going to do that? Probably not likely, right? So what are they going to do? They're going to look up. Now, if you have good neighbors and good friends around, like, that kid will run to that neighbor and be comforted, and that's okay. But what are they looking for first? Mom or dad, right? And like, no one will do, especially like mom, I think. Right, like a lot of times kids will run right by dad <laughs> to get to mom and that feeling of being comforted. I think it's okay to think of Jesus as a good mom too. And again, I know some of you can get weirded out by gender and stuff like that, but that feeling of being held by your mom when you scrape your knees, that's what Jesus wants for you, to come running to him. And no one else will do like that good, good parent who loves us so, so much. See, your heavenly father says that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are beautiful, you are wanted, you matter, you are needed. That's what Jesus says to each and every one of us. We say this most weeks here at Mosaic, that it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what's been done to you, the mistakes that you've made, the pain that you've been through, you can find hope and healing through Jesus Christ, amen? That's because he's a good, good Father. And lastly, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Hope is trusting God with our future. See, I found that nothing crushes hope more than a future that looks dark and bleak and crummy and uninspiring. I think that's one of the reasons the pandemic was so hard. We didn't know how long it was going to last. We didn't know how long we'd be sheltered in place. We didn't know how long we'd be separated from family and friends. We didn't know how long this disease would be around. And so we we couldn't make plans. And it was so crushing. And we're still experiencing, I think, a lot of ripple effects of that. And some of you maybe right now have a future that feels very uncertain. You look ahead at 2023 or even just this next month, and peace is not what comes to mind. What comes to mind instead is stress, anxiety, the worry of holidays, financial burdens, uh, of the stress of work. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Here's how Peter writes in 5.7, 1 Peter 5.7, he says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He wants you to cast all your cares, all your anxieties, just to give them to him. Let him carry those for you. We can trust God with our future because ultimately he is the one who is going to determine our future. Amen? So what this morning do you need from Jesus? We're going to move into time of communion here real soon, but what I want to ask is, do you need some wisdom? He's the wonderful counselor. Do you need some strength in your life? Jesus is the mighty God. Do you need some just love and affection? He's our Father. Do you need peace? He's the Prince of Peace. There's no greater gift than receiving this hope of the world into our life. And so 
this morning, if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus and to welcome his life, it's very simple. The Bible tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you've made mistakes, you've sinned, and you put your hope and trust in him, you will be saved, and you can welcome this Jesus into your life. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can know that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. I invite the band to come on up. And here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus a little later in his book in Isaiah chapter 53, 5. See, we know he's coming as a little baby and we know the Christmas story, but sometimes the Christmas story can stop there. He says this in Isaiah 53. He says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent, that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That this Jesus who came as a little baby that was foretold, he then went to the cross and he died for us in our place. And that by his stripes we are healed. We're going to move into a time of communion. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.